All right, 1 Samuel chapter 28. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 3. 1 Samuel 28, verse number 3. The Bible says, Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. And the Philistines gathered themselves together and came and pitched in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in Gilboa. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams nor by Urim nor by prophets. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment. And he went and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit and bring me him up whom I shall name unto thee. I think I want to stop reading right there, but if you'll please leave your Bible open, I'd like to look at a couple other verses that are in this chapter. I want to preach on this thought just for a minute tonight, compromising your convictions. Compromising your convictions. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you touch us tonight and help us. Lord, this is what seems to be the last night of a monumental meeting that begins this new year. And God, we're thankful for each and every service, each and every message, every moment, Lord, that you've touched our hearts. Lord, but before this service ends tonight, God, would you do a new work? Would you do a fresh work? God, would you do another work? And God, we need your touch like never before during these days. And God, I pray that you'd use me and help me tonight. Fill me with the Spirit. God, use me for your glory. Glory, help me to say those things that would be a blessing and a help and a challenge to your people. And Lord, get all the glory for it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I've been preaching through the life of Saul at our church on Sunday nights. And uh, Lord willing, this message right here is the, is the one I'll preach this Sunday night. I've never preached this, but I just couldn't get it off of my heart. I was looking at it today, getting ready for Sunday. And uh, preached about 13 messages. I think this will be the 13th message from the life of Saul and the best I can figure as I've been living with Saul and walking with Saul these last six months or so, this is one of the lowest points in Saul's, uh, in Saul's life. He really has reached the bottom when we come to chapter uh, 28. It seems like every chapter of Saul's life has brought him to a new low. And I'm not going to take time to go through the history. I don't have time to do that tonight. But this chapter is a sad low. It's a sad bottom uh, in Saul's life. And what's sad, the, the, I guess the most sad thing about it all, the saddest thing, is that he has a sad chapter after sad chapter after sad chapter after sad chapter. There's no break. It's not like ups and downs. It's just down and then down and then down, and then down. And listen, we all have failures in our life. We have no room to point at Saul and, and, and talk about how great of a sinner that he is tonight. But I want to tell you something about failures in your life and sad chapters and bad chapters. They don't have to compound one on another. Listen, you can have some mountaintops. You can have some times where you repent and get right with God 
and experience revival in your life. It does not have to be low after low after low and, and your life on a downward trajectory. Listen, repentance breaks the spiral. Get right with God, amen, and, and, and enjoy some fellowship with God. But there was no repentance in Saul's life. That's what was that. See, David was a much worse sinner than Saul ever thought about being. Yeah, look at the things that Saul did. And look at the things that David did. Saul never committed adultery. Saul, Saul never framed a man and, and, and had him murdered necessarily. Now, Saul did a lot of bad things, don't get me wrong. But the difference was that Saul never repented. He never knew what it was. He always had reason for his sin. He would always explain it away. He always had excuses and reasons why it was okay or why it was justified. And listen, I don't care how bad your sin is. Listen, if you come to God with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, uh, David found out, in fact, he penned it in his 51st Psalm. He said... He he will not despise it. He cannot refuse it. And, and so don't let your life be on a downward spiral, a downward trajectory. This is probably one of the lowest points in Saul because Saul is directly seeking the help of and associating with that which God has strictly forbidden and labeled an abomination. Witchcraft. Read after one man about this and he said about Saul that Saul couldn't get an answer from heaven so he decided to try hell to get an answer. To give context to this story, uh, Saul, uh, the writer here gives us three facts and I want to point them out to you very quickly in verses 3 and 4. Things that you need to know that give context to this story tonight. The first thing is in verse number 3 it said that Samuel was dead. That's thing number 1. Now that happens a couple chapters earlier but you need to know that it sets up this story. Samuel is dead. He's gone. The prophet. The man of God. The one who would uh, give Saul the word of the Lord. He is gone. He's, he's no longer here. And it kind of gives some context to the, really the mood of Israel when a spiritual leader dies, when, when, when he's off the scene, uh, there's kind of a, a, a sense of spiritual decline. Who's going to fill the shoes? Who's going to walk like he walked and did what he did? And it seems like nobody's there, especially when the current leadership is not living up to the same ideals that Samuel had proclaimed and preached for so long. Kind of feel that in our society today, don't you? We've had this past year, 2020, a lot of great men of God that went off the scene. You kind of feel that in kind of the same thing. Who's going to fill their shoes or who's going to walk the same path at least? And we look around and it's not looking so good. I think there's the kind of mood of that amongst Israel. And so you need to know that Samuel is dead. The one who would give the word of the Lord to Saul, he is gone. The second fact that the writer gives us that we need to know for context of this story is that Saul had put away all of those in the land that practice mischief. That's at the end of verse number three. Saul had put away all those uh, away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of, of the land. Now this would have been in accordance with Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 9 through 12. I'll let you look at that when God commanded that when you come into the land of Israel, when you get in there, you are not to have any, don't suffer a witch to live. Do not, do not allow that, uh, that abomination in your presence. Now, this probably isn't a recent development. I, I think, and I may give you a reason why before I sit down, but I think this probably happened maybe even 20 years before uh, what we're reading tonight, maybe 20, 25 years earlier. I believe it was one of the first things that Saul did because Saul just went downhill. I mean, so I think if it's a good thing, he probably did it at the beginning of his reign. But we need to know that fact for the story tonight. Samuel's dead. 
maybe 25 years ago, possibly Saul had put these witches and wizards out of the land. The third fact that you need to know is that the Philistines are gathered against Israel. Now that is present day. That is happening right now. The Philistines have gathered against Israel. And this fact shows us about the predicament that Saul is in. Saul had lost Samuel. Saul had put out the wizards and witches out of the land. And the Philistines have gathered against Israel. And that last fact about the Philistines gathering against Israel really sets the scene for this story. Saul, in his fear, tried to get in touch uh, with the one who he had cut out of his life. He tried to call on God is what it says. And I don't think his, I don't think his inquiry was, uh, was, uh, was sincere. And I can give you a Bible for that later. But I, I don't think he was really trying. I think he went through the motions and, and the avenues. And he said, well, God, you know, God's not talking to me in dreams. And, and, and the Urim and the Thummim, that was the means by which the priest that would, would try to uh, uh, decipher the will of God. And there was no prophet. In verse number 6, those three things were gone. The voice of God was gone in Saul's life uh, even after he had ignored the voice of God and refused the voice of God and now it was gone. Saul had cut all these things. By what the Urim and the Thummim, that's what the priests used. He had killed all the priests just a couple chapters earlier. 85 priests, all but one lived and obviously he wasn't hanging around Saul. Do you blame him? He went with David. I don't, well, I mean, I don't blame him one bit. And so he said, God's not talking to me anymore. I don't know what to do. He strayed from God. He silenced the priest. He spurned the, the, the preaching of the prophets. And now he desperately longs to get in touch with Samuel. If I could only talk to the preacher, I'd just figure out what was going on. You know, it's amazing how you don't miss some things until they're gone. It's amazing how we take for granted a lot of God's blessings and, and the means by which He communicates to us through the Scriptures and the Spirit of God and, and the sermons and, and, and all the things that God uses to speak to us. And when we cut them out of our life, it's amazing how we try to get them back when we need them, when we get in a, we get in a jam, we get in trouble. I want you to note two things for our lesson tonight and then I want to sit down. But I notice first thing, a, a conviction. A conviction here. And I see that in verse number 3 when it tells us this fact here that Saul had put away all those that practiced witchcraft out of the land. At some point, Paul or Saul rather removed the witches from the land of Israel. You know what that reminds me of? That, that's a conviction. That is a, that is a, convictions are decisions that we make for our life based upon the word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. I hope you have some Bible convictions in your life, some Bible standards. I hope you have some things that you have moved out of your life and you said, I am not doing this. I am not associating with these things. I'm done with this. Some Bible convictions. Somebody said, if you don't have any, borrow some of your preachers till you get some of your own. Amen. A conviction. But then we see something else. We see a compromise. You see, in a difficult spot, spot that Saul is in, he seeks out and he engages in the very things that he removed out of his life. A compromise is when you change your mind about things that you were once convinced were wrong. 
And I want to tell you, my years of passion, which hasn't been that many compared to a lot, and my years of trying to help people have allowed me to really have a front row seat to see some of the most heartbreaking compromise. That's probably one of the hardest things, Brother Gravely, about pastoring. Warning people, telling people, warn and say, listen, and then watching God do a work in their heart and maybe they'll stand up in a revival meeting or maybe at youth camp and they'll say, God told me this and I want to live this way and I'm going to do this. And they put things out of their life that ought not to be there and only for months down the road or years down the road for there to be a slow compromise in their life. And they begin to embrace the things that they used to be against. Saul's compromise of once held convictions give us an opportunity to see just a couple truths about the subject and I won't be long. I'm the first preacher tonight. I'm going to give you these things. I'm going to sit down very quickly. I want to say a few things about compromising your convictions. Number one, I noticed just some observations, very simple observations. Number one, I see something about the reasoning or the rationale of compromise. You know, compromise is never done for the sake of compromise. Nobody ever just wakes up and says, you know what, I think I'll compromise some convictions today. That's not the way it works, does it? Nobody just grows out of bed and says, you know what, I feel like a compromiser this morning, though I have got up some mornings and felt like a compromise. I definitely don't feel like some victorious Christian in the mornings. I don't know, maybe y'all do, amen. But nobody just rolls out of bed and thinks that. Compromise is always done under difficult circumstances. It's when the pressure's on. It's when you're in a tight spot. When you're like Saul and you got the Philistines all gathered around you on every side and you don't know what to do and you're so afraid, even though God delivered Saul from the Philistines every time he ever had trouble with them. But this time it's going to be the end. This time we don't know what to do. This time, we, you know, this time we're not going uh, to make it through. And compromise is always done under difficult circumstances. You know, it's easy to keep your convictions when everything's going well. You know, it's easy to do it when it's the popular thing to do. It's easy to talk about convictions and stand for the Lord at youth camp. It's easy to do it during a three-week revival. It's easy to do it. It's easy to do it, you know, when everything is going good. But you let, you let yourself get in the valley. You let yourself get in a hard spot where there's pressure. And by the way, if you live in this world, there is pressure on every hand, almost every moment of the day to compromise what you believe and compromise what is right. We live in a pressure cooker, don't we? It's everywhere. I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. I mean, there's a tug. It's getting harder and harder to hold the line. Isn't it? Saul had extenuating circumstances that pressured him to compromise. These Philistines have gathered him. He can't get a hold of God. What's he going to do? By the way, I don't think he legitimately really tried to get a hold of God. First Chronicles 10, just write that down. The last two verses, I may read them here in a minute, but it said that God killed Saul because he, he sought out a witch and would not inquire of the Lord. God said that Saul did not inquire of him, even though the Bible says here that Saul inquired of the Lord. Well, which is it? You know, how, you, know you can pray without praying. Pharisees did it all the time. You know, you can say, well, I tried to call on God. Listen, if you seek God with all your heart, he will be found of you. Saul never got to the point where he sought God with his whole heart. Never did. He never did. 
There will always be circumstances that come in your life to make you rethink everything. And it seems like, preacher, I see this uh, and I've seen this time and time again. People rethink and reevaluate and, and start to relieve some, some convictions in their life after some great tragedy, after some life-changing thing, something that rocks their world and then their mind begins to spin and their heart is confused and they think, well, there's no other way to live. There's no other way to function unless I compromise some convictions in my life. And then you begin to rationalize and you begin to reason. You say, well, I got a reason for this and I got a reason for that. And you don't know what I've been through and you don't know what I've endured and, and you don't know where I'm at and all these things. Listen, and that may be true. I don't know what you've been through and I don't know where you're at, but I do know this tonight. God's word is always true. It's on the bad days and on the good days and when all the world's for it and when all the world's against it, God's word always stands. No matter what is going on. Listen, if it ever right, it was right, it still is right. If it ever was wrong, it still is wrong. Listen, present day circumstances do not change God's word. If God ever spoke to your heart and told you not to do something or you need to do something, listen, don't doubt in the dark what God showed you in the light. Amen. Listen, what God told you to do and confirmed in your heart during times of revival and, and renewal. And listen, don't doubt those things when you're living a carnal life. So many people get up to youth camp and, and when, when we've been separated from everything and gone from everything and away from everything and just seeking God 24 hours a day pretty much and God confirms the things in their heart. But when they get home and they turn on the TV and they turn on the social media and they get around them friends again, then they start throwing everything out the window. Now just look at it. Just think of it with a logical mind. When do you think you are most clear in your mind to discern some convictions for your life? Amen. It's some times when you are close to God. But the devil, hey, listen, if you want an excuse, he'll give you one. Listen, if you're looking for a reason to compromise, listen, go to Walmart. Yeah, they're two for one on special right now. You can find them anywhere you want. Listen, there's no room. You don't, we don't reason with the Bible. We believe the Bible. Listen, let God be true and every man a liar. Listen, we're not here to argue with God and, and make our case before God. Listen, the Bible is fixed. The Bible is firm. The Bible is forever. Forever, O oh Lord, is thy word settled in heaven. Listen, the Bible's not going to change. Listen, I serve a God that never changed. I don't want to change. We live in a day of shifting sand. Compromises on every hand. Listen, if you decide you're going stick, to stick with what's right, listen, if you want to make some enemies, all you got to do is don't change. Just don't change. And listen, I'll tell you what you do. You'll tick off all them people that used to stand where you stood. And then they'll turn it around and make it out like you're the bad guy for just doing what you've always done and where they used to be. Yeah, man. Man, there's too much liberty up here. Gracious talking about rationale of compromise. There'll always be, you can always, if you're looking for a reason to compromise, you'll always find one. Let me say something about the route to compromise, secondly. How does somebody get to a place of compromise in their life? I'll tell you how. Verse number six. The Bible says that Saul inquired of the Lord, but look here, the Lord answered him not. Now Saul goes to this this witch, I don't have time to get into it tonight. But this witch calls up Samuel. Actually, I don't think the witch called up Samuel. 
I think it was Samuel, but I don't think the witch had anything to do with it. I think she was just as surprised as anybody. She screamed, ah! I think God sent Samuel. You say, right, Samuel's dead. Why would God? He sent Moses and Elijah up on the mountain of transfiguration. He can do what he wants to do. This was Samuel with a message from God. Here's what Samuel said to Saul in verse number 16. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee, look here, and is become thine enemy. Verse 16, Samuel tells Saul that God has departed from him and had become his enemy. Now listen, I want you to see this. Saul had made a rule in his life, a conviction in his life. No witches, no wizards were casting them out of the land. But then later we find out that, in fact, this happened way on back. God departed from him. Saul, Saul had no relationship with the Lord whatsoever. Do you know the quickest route to compromise is when all you have is rules, but you don't have a relationship with the Lord? That is the recipe for compromise. That is the route to compromise. When you have rules, see, Saul had this conviction. No witches, no wizards. And listen, it kept on for several years. He was fine. He was able to get by with it. But his personal life was exposed. He had no relationship with the Lord. Saul was trying to maintain a rule that he had put in place way back when he had some type of relationship with the Lord. And he was trying to maintain that same conviction, maintain that same rule without having a relationship with God. Amen. Can I say this? And I'm going to move on. The relationship is broken long before the rules are broken. Broken rules are just a revelation of what has already occurred on the inside. If your life is a bunch of rules of what you cannot do and what you can't do, you will inevitably be a rule breaker and a rebel. You can't focus on the rules. It's got to be about knowing Jesus. Falling head over heels in love with Jesus Christ. Because when you do that, you will gladly maintain every... Con- they won't even see, it won't even seem like a drudgery. Listen, his, his burdens, listen, they're not heavy. His, his law is not grievous. It's wonderful. Listen, when you fall head over heels in love with Jesus, it don't matter what he... I mean, if, if Jesus wants you to stand on your head and gargle peanut butter singing Amazing Grace, you'll give it your best shot because you love Him. Amen. Amen. If your whole marriage is all about, well, I can't... <laughs> Listen, man, if you go around telling your wife, well, I can't go on a date with any other woman because I'm married to you. I can't do that. I can't go out with the boys and I can't buy this and I can't do that because I'm married to you. And by the way, some of those things, or all of those things might be true. <laughs> you may not be able to do any of those things. But if that's all you're focused on in your marriage, can I tell you something? You're miserable. In fact, you are 100% likely to break either one or all of those rules of marriage. But when you're in love with your wife, you're head over head. You ain't thinking about no other women. You ain't thinking about the boys. You ain't thinking about things you can't buy. You just love her and you're just glad to be married. Somebody say amen right there. Listen, I don't need rules in my marriage to help me stay. I don't, listen, you got to kiss your wife three times every week. I don't need that rule. My wife might need a rule like that. Might have put that in play. But I don't need it. 
You know why? Because I'm in love. I want to kiss her. Amen. It ain't a have to, it's a want to. And I'm going to tell you what, it's that way. Listen, if, if, if it's a drudgery, if doing right, if living right, if walking with God, if it's just a big drudgery in your life, you have left your first love. And you're headed to compromise. Yeah, falling in love with Jesus will, and having that relationship every single day will help you gladly maintain any conviction He's placed in your life. In fact, you'll realize that the rules and the standards and the convictions, they are there simply so that we might stay in love with Jesus. Oh, it's a wonderful thing. The rationale of compromise, the route to compromise. Let me say something quickly about the results of compromise. In fact, we see Samuel goes on to tell Saul, verses 16, 17, 18, 19, said Samuel's message is one of judgment. He said, you're going to die, and your sons are going to die in battle with you the next day. In fact, 1 Chronicles 10 makes it really clear that the, the swift judgment of God, Saul dying in battle and his sons dying in battle, was a direct result of Saul's compromise. You can read 1 Chronicles 10, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to move on, but you read those and you'll find it. It was a direct result of Saul's compromise here in this chapter. Not what he did years ago. It had something to do with that, but also what he did right here, calling on this witch. The judgment was he lost his life. The judgment was his sons would die. It cost him his safety. It cost him his sons. By the way, let me just say this. Your compromise affects the next generation. If you think you compromising and going back on some things that God put in your heart years ago, if you think letting up and compromising, if you don't think it affects the next generation, you are sadly mistaken. In fact, many times when mom and daddy compromise, it's the kids that pick up the bill. Cost them his safety. Cost them his sons. Cost them his sanity. You see here in verse number 20, when after Samuel had delivered this message, Saul fell straightway along the earth and was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel. Saul was a madman anyway. Saul had no, no peace, no, no serenity in his life because of the life that he lived separated from God. And I tell you, compromise, listen, you might put a smile on your face and act like everything's all right, but when you lay your head on your pillow at night, listen, it haunts you in your sleep. There's no sanity. It cost him his strength, verse number 20, and there was no strength in him for he'd eat no bread all the day and all the night. Listen, and his strength was gone. In fact, I want to note this before I sit down that his strength was now... This, this, in fact, you read the rest of this chapter. This woman's a witch. She's the witch of Endor. But she actually comes out like a really nice lady. She does. She, she's really, Saul's on the ground. He hadn't eaten anything all day. He's falling over about to pass out, and everybody's just looking around. And the, and the witch lady, she says, hey, let's get this man something to eat. And she goes in the kitchen, and she cooks a big meal and feeds Saul. And so I'm reading this. I'm thinking, well, hey, this witch lady, she's not so bad. She's such a nice lady. And then you know what occurred to me? Hold on. She's a witch. <laughs> Wait a second. Quit being so nice. You're a bad person. And here's what I thought about. You see Saul, he's, he's sitting on this woman's bed. And this woman's frying him up steak and, 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 and biscuits and all these things here. 
And I thought about this, how Saul's strength, the only strength that he could get for his life, was now having to be provided by something he used to be against. Now he's sitting on his bed. You know what he is? Now he's comfortable in his compromise. Compromise is actually blessing him instead of bothering him. Can I tell you, that's a bad place to get. You say, well, you know, I've let up on some things. I've gone back and I feel fine. I don't feel convicted about anything. I'm feeling fine. Yeah, you're sitting on the witch's bed. That's a bad place to be, being comfortable in compromise. But there he is. Isn't it amazing? Saul knew that he had 24 hours to live. That's what, the, that's what Samuel told him. He said, you're going to die tomorrow. You're joining me. That's what you don't want to hear a dead person say. You're going to be with me tomorrow. I can't think of something I want to hear any dead people say, actually, now that, I, now that I'm thinking about it. But Samuel said, you're going to be with me tomorrow and your sons. Saul knew that he had 24 hours or less to live. If you knew you only had one day to live, what would you do? I don't know about you, but I think I'd be trying to get right with God. I don't see that. You know, the end of compromise is never beautiful. It promises a prize, but it always comes with a price. Let me say this, I'm done. I said something about the rationale of compromise and the route to compromise and the results of compromise. Let me say something about the remedy for compromise. And I'm done tonight. When I read about Saul involved in witchcraft, I can't help but think about what Samuel told Saul years ago, decades earlier, chapter 15. Remember when he refused to obey the word of the Lord and he didn't utterly destroy the Amalekites? He was supposed to do it, but he didn't. Remember what Samuel told him? said, we all know this verse, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You know, I'm not so sure that Samuel was so much likening rebellion to witchcraft as he was trying to get Saul to realize that every sin is a big deal to God. I believe that Saul, before chapter 15, I believe that Saul cast out the witches out of the land and the wizards and all that. And Samuel was trying to get Saul to open his eyes and realize, Saul, you're just as bad as what the people you just cast out. You're a sinner too. Saul probably had removed witchcraft out of the land already, but Saul, Samuel brings us up to try to get Saul to realize you're just as bad. When you rebel against God, you're just as bad as the witches that you just put out of the land. You know what the remedy for compromise is? It's to view every sin as a big deal. Every sin against God is a bit, every little, in fact, you don't go full-blown witchcraft without starting with something. He went from something as witchcraft to now Saul is witchcraft. He went from as to is. Now he is practicing and participating in it. Big compromises come at the end of a long line of small compromises. You ought to view any sin and any compromise, any temptation to compromise as a threat to your Christian life. There's something inside of me, Brother Greg, I'm scared to death. If I be honest about it, there's a part of me that is scared to death. Compromising. 
There's a song. There's a song Miss Maddie sings at our church sometimes. Says that I'd rather die. I'd rather die than go back to the world. I don't want to compromise. God's put some things in my heart. And by the grace of God, I'm going to stand to the day I die. To the day I die. But I'm also scared because I know preachers that have probably even stood on this platform and said the same thing. We all need to get on our face and ask God to help us. Amen. Let's stand. Father, I pray that you'd help us, God, tonight with these things. Lord, help us not to compromise. Help us not to give up. Help us not to give in. Lord, it's so tempting. Lord, the seduction is so strong. God, I pray that you give us some grace and give us some grit. Lord, just to stand firm in these days. Help us not to go back on the things that you've put in our heart. We ask in Jesus' name tonight. Amen. Amen. You mind the Lord tonight. Maybe, maybe the devil's been tempting you. Maybe there's been a temptation in your life to compromise. What you gonna do about it? Amen.